have your Bible with you, you can open to the book of Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 is uh, where we're going to be here in just a moment. It's good to see all of you here on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. It may not seem like it's too beautiful outside. I don't know. I checked the forecast a few days ago, and it said it was supposed to be, I think, like 75 or 77 sunny today. But uh, if it's going to get to that, this fog has to clear out, I believe. Uh, But it is a beautiful day that God has blessed us with because we are gathered together here as God's people Uh, to open our hearts and open our mouths in praise to Him as we have sung together this morning and prayed together. And I hope that we continue in that frame of mind as we open God's Word and and study uh, God's Word together. I think it would be very safe to say that uh, most, if not all, religious people, anybody that would claim to Uh, believe that there is a God and claim to uh, believe that that God exists and that uh, God is the God of the Bible. Anybody that we would talk to like that, I think, would just readily admit that God is love. And I don't know how you can read the Bible without coming to that conclusion because it states very clearly for us in places like 1 John that God is love. Not just God is loving, but God is love. That's the the very heart of his character. And because he is love, he is loving to us, uh, those that have been made in his image. But I don't know that there would be as many people that would say that God is love and God is loving that would admit that God is a God who also hates. He certainly does love all people. Because we have been created in his image, just like a parent. For those of us who are parents that have children, I would assume that we love all of our children. And there's probably nothing that they could do or not do throughout their whole life that would change that particular fact that we really do love our children. That doesn't mean that we would approve of every decision that our children make, that we would make the same choices that they make in life. Uh, that we would agree with every direction that they might take their life, but we still love them. And so, yes, God does love all people because He is the Father of us all. But at the same time, we read in Scripture that God hates all sin. And so what I want us to do in both of our lessons uh, today is to consider some attitudes and some actions that not only God hates, but some things that are abominations to him. And to help us do that, we're going to be looking here in Proverbs chapter 6 today and thinking about seven abominations that are listed for us here, kind of in the middle of this chapter, uh, to uh, think through some of these things, to uh, we could spend probably a whole lesson on each one of these if we really wanted to dig into it that much. I do want us to get uh, the, the meaning, the understanding of, of all seven of these things that are detestable to God. Um, but I don't want us to uh, just see one of these and lose sight of the other ones because I believe there's a reason why the writer here of the book of Proverbs is giving us not just one of these, but he's giving us these in kind of a complete picture or total list here, if you will. So Proverbs chapter 6, if you're open to your Bible there, let's begin back at verse 
uh, 12 and read down through verse 19. Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 12, uh, the wisdom writer says, A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly, instantly. He will be broken and there will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. As we think just for a minute or two here before we get into this list that the the wise man gives us. Uh, just to think about this idea of an abomination, that's, that's probably not a word that we use in our everyday conversations with people. That's not a, a common uh, word that is used in our English language today. When we think about that word or we hear that word, probably for most of us, because we are where we are, because we're students of God's word, we often think about how that word is used in scripture. And maybe that's our connotation for it. But the word abomination really is describing something that is disgusting. It is something that is abhorrent. Uh, if you're reading this morning from the NIV, it uses the word detestable, that there are seven things which are detestable to God. And maybe we can understand that idea a little bit better than the word abomination. But as I suggested to you just a moment ago in the introduction to these lessons today, uh, these are things, as you will see as we dig into this list a little bit more, that these are, are not just actions that we take, but these are also attitudes. So they're attitudes and actions that are repulsive to God. They are things that, that we say, things that we do, uh, dispositions of heart that we have toward others or toward God that are repulsive to Him. They are things, attitudes, and actions that make God sick, <laughs> Uh, you, you might think about uh, way over in Scripture in Revelation, uh, I think it's in chapter 3, when the letter was being written to the, the church at Laodicea. And you remember what Jesus said to them, that, that they were neither cold nor hot spiritually. They were lukewarm, and because they were lukewarm, he wanted to spew them or spit them out of his mouth. It, it, it's the idea here, I think, of an abomination that these, these are things that are repulsive to God. These are things that make God sick. And if we're trying to truly be like God in our life, if we're trying to live like true children of God, these are things that the wise man mentions here in Proverbs 6. These are things that ought to make us sick as well. As we look at our own life, as we examine our own hearts, as we think about our own attitudes and, and how we interact with other people and our actions toward God even, these are things that should make us sick. And so, yes, we should be like God. We should love all people but at the same time, we should hate all sin. So I don't think this is really an exhaustive list that the, the Proverbs writer gives us here, but these are seven things that he is pointing out to us that we need to consider from time to time. And I don't think it's just a random list. And I, I'm, I wanted to start back at verse 12 because verses 12 through 15, as we read those few verses, the, the wise man is giving us this description of this worthless man, this wicked man. 
And I hope you can see as we go throughout these studies today in both lessons that really what we're going to focus on today from 17, 18, and 19, it's very much, I think, just kind of uh, taking the description of that worthless wicked man and kind of expounding upon that. There is a connection that the Proverbs writer is making for us between 12 through 15 and 16 through 19. Why seven abominations? <laughs> I don't know. But if you know anything about Scripture, you know that seven usually signifies completeness. So maybe, again, this is not everything that, that is repulsive to God or makes God sick, every kind of sin. Uh, but this is sort of a complete picture that the writer is trying to give us here. And so the wisdom writer is describing a person going back to verses 12 through 15 and continuing that on in 16 through 19. He's describing a person who is using the many parts of his body to sin. Notice that he focuses on the eyes and the tongue, the hands, the feet, the heart. He, I believe, is telling us here, here is a person, a picture of a person who has wholly given themselves over to sin. Here is one who, in the words of the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Romans and elsewhere, we could say, I think, safely say, here is a person who is a slave of sin. And so what are these seven things that the writer mentions here uh, that make God sick? The first that we want to think about this morning is what he mentions there at verse 17, uh, someone who has haughty eyes. Um, if you're reading a different translation, it may have a different uh, description there. The King James and the New King James Version use the phrase here, a proud look. <laughs> a proud look, haughty eyes. This is describing someone who is arrogant. This is describing someone who has a sinful kind of pride. And we don't really have time this morning. It's not the intent of, of my, this study this morning, this, these lessons. Uh, but just a little bit of a side note. Sometimes we think about pride, and oftentimes as you read that word pride in the Bible, we think of it in a negative sense. There is a negative connotation to it. But also, I think, from a, in a very real way, pride is something, if we're not egotistical, if we're not arrogant, that we can be proud of someone else. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses that kind of language in talking about his brethren in the first century, that he was proud of them. He was rejoicing that they had turned away from sin and that they were growing in their relationship with God. But I believe, as he thinks about here, a proud look or haughty eyes, he's talking about an arrogance. He's talking about sinful pride, and arrogance or sinful pride begins, of course, in our hearts. I want you to go to the, the Gospel of Mark for just a moment, in Mark chapter 7. Uh, and we'll be looking in at least the lesson this morning, in, in, uh, or this lesson, and in, in maybe the next lesson, um, at some passages here in Mark 7 and the companion passage in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, here, the, Mark chapter 7 begins, you might remember, with a conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders uh, about washing of hands and their disciples eating with unwashed hands. And Jesus takes that opportunity to talk to them about their traditions and how they had made their traditions not just equal with the Word of God, but they had really elevated their own traditions and understandings and interpretations of God's Word and the things that they had added on to God's Word as being more important than the Word of God Himself. But in all of that discussion, his disciples are, are listening. And, and notice what he says here uh, as we, uh, beginning there at about verse 14, 
that he called the crowds uh, to him again, and he began uh, trying to explain some things about uh, what he had just said. But he starts talking to them about the fact that it's not what goes into our uh, mouths and gets into our stomach that defiles us. It's not food that defiles us, but it's what comes out of us. So notice what he says here beginning at verse 20. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, this is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. That's what we're thinking of here with haughty eyes, pride and foolishness. Pride, obviously, this this arrogance that we have about us, this arrogance that becomes who we are, that defines who we are, it begins in our heart. And really, I think we could say that of all sin, doesn't it? It somehow begins in our heart. It begins in our mind. It begins in our emotions. It begins in our will. But here, I want us to be impressed with the fact that even though he's saying, here is a person who can be worthless and wicked, that it is seen in their haughty eyes, that it begins in their heart. Uh, one whose pride is not, uh, one who has this arrogant pride, it's something that's not only inward, though, as he says here in this description about this proud look or the haughty eyes, it is also something that is outward. It is something that is on display for others to see. It is something that someone can just look at our eyes, can look at our facial expression sometimes and know, they can't know everything that's in our heart, but they can know something about our heart. They can know something about our disposition toward God and toward our fellow man. As you think about this description of haughty eyes or a proud look, you know, have you ever seen someone who was, as we say, looking down on other people? Interesting that we use that kind of terminology, someone who looks down on someone else. Their eyes, their facial expressions are saying, maybe without them even saying a word, but we kind of know the message that they are sending to us or someone else. They, they are saying just with their eyes, I'm better than you are. You're not as good as I am. And so they are looking down with haughty eyes. I think about something that is said in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke 18 begins with the, the parable of the uh, persistent widow, as we often uh, call it, and the uh, uh, woman uh, talking to the, the judge that was an unrighteous judge. And Jesus uses that parable to talk about prayer. But notice what he says here at verse 9 beginning that he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed, notice the language there again, viewed others with contempt. So it's not just the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were thinking in their minds that they were looking down upon others and saying, well, that person's not as good as I am. They're not as religious as I am. They're not as holy as I am. But Jesus said they were viewing others. You could just see it in their eyes. They were viewing others with contempt. And I believe there is a warning as we come back to this particular abomination that the writer is mentioning here at the first of this list in verse 17. There's a warning for us today. If we are not careful, we can be people that have haughty eyes. We can be people who are looking down on other people. And, and Satan certainly, it's not just in our time, but it seems to be running pretty rampant right now that Satan is just having a field day and trying to divide us. 
you know, as people, uh, as people that are citizens of this country, as people who are been made in the image of God. And Satan is also working among God's people today, just as he always has been, and trying to divide us. But it can be very easy for us to have haughty eyes to look down on people maybe who aren't as wealthy as we think we are, or who aren't as good-looking as we think we are, who aren't as popular as we think we are, people who aren't as spiritual or don't have the kind of knowledge that we think that we have in the Scriptures And so that is a warning, but also here I think we need to take to heart when we think about a person who has haughty eyes that we not only can be arrogant and have a sinful kind of pride and haughtiness about us in relation to our fellow human being, but we can also have an arrogance when it comes toward our God. I want you to go to the Psalms for just a moment in Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Uh, Notice here verses 1 through 4. Psalm 10, 1 through 4. The psalmist says, why do you stand uh, afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Notice the language, in pride. The wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So even... In our thinking about God, in our relationship with God, we can have this idea of haughty eyes. That we can even say to God, as as, um, crazy as it might sound, because God is the one who created us. But we could come to His Word and we could have haughty eyes to Him and say, well, really God, you don't really know what you're talking about. (laughs) Because I figured out more about this than you have. And that's a very, very dangerous position for us to be in. So, number one, haughty eyes are an abomination to our God. Secondly, the the wise man says that a lying tongue is an abomination to him. As we just finished talking about with arrogance, lying and deceit also begins in our heart. I'm not going to take the time to turn back to these two passages because we've really just read that list there Uh, that's pretty much the same list with an exception or two between Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 7. But Jesus makes that comment to us there. He makes that observation that that's where lying begins. Our tongues, our mouths certainly are an instrument that that is used to express what is in our heart. It is used to tell people just like our eyes. It's used to communicate a message to other people of what is truly in our heart. And I don't know about you, but of all the things that are in this particular list and, and just a lot of sins as we have lists like this throughout Scripture, uh, in, in my judgment anyway, lying may be one of the easiest ways for us to sin. It really doesn't take a whole lot of effort for us, especially if our heart isn't where our heart needs to be. It is just so easy for us to just, maybe as we say sometimes, without even thinking about what we're saying or why we're saying it, whether this is truthful, whether this is harmful to someone or not. We can lie without even thinking about it, without maybe even intending to do so. If our heart is not being trained, if our conscience is not being guided by the Word of God. 
We can say something that isn't true. We can say things that maybe are just partially true. We can kind of, as we say sometimes, take something that is true and kind of stretch the truth a little bit. And just to do that very easily without really giving a whole lot of thought to it because we live in an environment. It's not just something that is unique to 21st century America. It's always been this way. But we live in an environment where that's just very common. You know, it's just common for people in the political realm to lie. It's common for people in the business world to lie. It's, it's common just everywhere that we look. And I think that it is also true that it could be very easy for us to have a lying tongue because our tongue, our mouth is something that can often be very difficult for us to control. Uh, I, I'm sure everyone here in this assembly this morning is familiar with the the words of James. But I want you to turn over there for just a moment to remind ourselves of what James says. He gives almost a whole chapter here in this very short book to talking about our tongue and talking about how important it is for us to get control of what we say, that small member of our body. Just notice a couple of things here uh, about the tongue, verse 2 and verse 8. Uh, James says to us there in James 3 and verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man in the sense of someone who is complete or mature, able to bridle the whole body as well. And then at verse 8 he says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I don't believe James is saying that, especially there at verse 8, is saying, or even back in verse 2, is just giving us a discouraging message. <laughs> that we ought to just lie down, we shouldn't try to control our tongues. I don't think that's the point of it at all. He begins back in chapter 1 by saying, this is one evidence, this is one proof of whether our religion is really true or not, if we can bridle our tongue. But James is saying to us, I believe, at least here at verses 2 and verse 8, that without God, we can't tame our tongues. Without God's Word and God's will and God's wisdom and God's strength and God's guidance, we can't truly tame our tongues. And just impressing upon us the fact here in James chapter 3 of how uh, difficult it is, how much damage this little member of our body can do, also how much good it can do, but how much damage it can do. And so all of us have to depend upon God as we do for everything, God working in us and through us, to change us into His image. But we must be people, if we're serious about being children of God, who are working hard at thinking about what we say before we say it. We must be people who are doing all that we can to make sure that what we say is true. Uh, and this shows up in a lot of ways, but I think today, at least in my, my judgment, it shows up a lot on social media. <laughs> Maybe without us even intending, you know, we're trying to uh, maybe we've read something that we think is good, but it turns out that this particular post really isn't. I mean, it's a lot of false information. It's We're posting or retweeting or whatever what somebody else has, has already said. So we need to be careful about that. Uh, to illustrate just how much God hates a lying tongue, I think all we need to do is look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, verses 3 through 4. I'm sure all of us are familiar with that account there. Uh, but as Peter was confronting uh, both of these individuals, this husband and wife couple, he says, why have you lied to God? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Yes, in a sense, they had lied to men, but more than that, they had lied to God. And 
they were struck dead. They lost their earthly life. And so a lying tongue is something that is very serious to God. It is something that is an offense to God. It is something that makes God sick. Uh, Thirdly, and finally for this session this morning, we want to think about what, uh, again, back to our text in Proverbs 6, that the wise man says, hands that shed innocent blood are an abomination to God. This abomination was a part of what I would consider to be God's uh, from the beginning language. It appears very early in Scripture. Once you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 9, uh, Genesis chapter 9, and uh, as the flood waters have subsided and God gives some instructions uh, to Noah and to his sons, and he renews his covenant uh, with them going forward for the rest of the human population and even the earth that he's created. Notice he says here in verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. Uh, this is how serious, just like God takes very seriously haughty eyes and a lying tongue, this is something that God takes very seriously as well, hands. So again, he's using the, the parts of our body that God has created, our eyes, our mouths, our hands. And God takes it so seriously that as he says here in this verse, that he requires a life for a life because one that is murdered was made in his image. And by the way, we didn't think about this from James 3, (laughs) Uh, but James 3 kind of makes the same point about our tongues too, doesn't he? He says, you know, we can use our tongue to bless God, but we can turn around and use that same tongue to curse our fellow man that's been made in the image of God. That's why I think a lot of this matters because God has created us. And yet we live in a society where many people are, too caught up in themselves. They care more about themselves. They care more about seeking revenge when they have been done wrong. There are not as many people who care about their fellow being as they are fellow uh, human being as they should. Just to think about our culture, to think about our society. And again, it's not something that is unique uh, to 21st century America, but it certainly is on display here. Just to think about how violent our society has become. Uh, I, I grew up in a small town, at least at that particular time, it was a very small town in Mississippi, Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, because of the university being there, it, it has exploded. Uh, there are people that are uh, retirement community, people that are moving there. Uh, home prices have gone sky high. Uh, so it used to be, at least when I was growing up, that it was just kind of, you thought, thought about violence in big urban areas and big cities. That's not the case anymore. I mean, there is violence everywhere you look. I want us to think about something that the Proverbs writer began the book of Proverbs with in Proverbs chapter 1 at verse 10, some wisdom that he gave to his son uh, about violence, about shedding innocent blood. Proverbs chapter 1, uh, if I can get there at verse 10 beginning, He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. 
We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk. Notice the language here. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the 1040 session. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. So it's not something that we're just dealing with now. (laughs) The Proverbs writer dealt with that as well. But this, I think, in many respects is where our nation is. And we're living in a time where few think of their other human beings as they should, as being people made in God's image because we're kind of thrown God out of our thinking. You can certainly think about this thing that is repulsive, repugnant, an abomination to God, hands that shed innocent blood from the standpoint of abortion. As we know here, just almost a couple of years ago, Roe v. Wade was overturned in our country, and that's no longer federal law. Those decisions were turned back over to individual states. But we're fooling ourselves, and we think this this sin, this problem of abortion has gone away because it hasn't. And there are still people, for a variety of reasons, that are killing those innocent babies. In fact, the latest statistic that I can find is of 2021, there was estimated 63 million plus. 63 million innocent babies that have been murdered just in our country since Roe v. Wade became law in the 70s. An unborn life is still a life. And a born life is a life. Life is very precious to God. But especially those that are unborn, we know that they are innocent. And God says through his inspired writer here in Proverbs chapter 6, hands that shed innocent blood make God sick. And so that's where we'll stop this morning, at least in this session. I think we really need to think about some of these things. I I don't know that any of us, this last one that we talked about, will hopefully find ourselves shedding innocent blood. But if we're not careful, we can let the thought, the thinking of our world and our culture creep into our thinking, and then it creeps into our living. And before long, we are living in a way that does not please God. In fact, it's a way that makes God sick. So I know this is not the most fun things for us to think about this morning, but I think it's things that we need to consider from time to time. So with those thoughts in mind, if you can keep Proverbs 6 in the back of your mind, hang on to that for another hour or so. We'll get back to this text. But thank you so much for your uh, attention this morning.